0: My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35 year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world sharing their insights, strategies and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough pointed questions with real insightful and emotional answers. Today's guest is my good friend and former anchor of Comcast Sportsnet and current realtor, Leslie Goodell. Leslie, welcome to On The Mark Podcast.
1: Wow, I'm feeling super special now, now that I'm your guest.
0: I know. It's usually the other way. Unbelievable. All right, Les, let's talk about—I still remember the first time we met— Way back in the day, when good friend of both of ours uh, introduced us when we were when I was living in Philly and you were coming to town. But for the listeners, why don't you just talk a little bit about your career from start to where you are today?
1: Well, I've been. Um, it's going to sound like I've been a bit of a vagabond, but I do have. I do have many years behind me. So uh, I got out of college at UCLA. I grew up in the Los Angeles area. I got out of college at UCLA. Didn't really know what I was going to do. I spent most of my college time in a boat on the crew team, and just knew that I, uh, um, you know, I was getting a degree and didn't know much beyond that. I started working for my dad's title insurance company out of school and worked in sales and had some success in that and. And then decided that I'd always, my dad had three girls, so I got to go to all the sporting events with him. And I grew up a sports fan and knew I wanted to work in sports. So I interned at what was then Prime Ticket, and I think has become Prime Ticket again. I can't keep track. And interned there, and somebody said, get on the set. You look good on camera. You should put a tape together. And I thought I'd go into production, but ended up sending a tape out, got my first job in Pocatello, Idaho. Uh, where I was covering eight-man football teams that got two weeks off for potato harvest. And then I got hired back in Los Angeles and moved back at the same place that I had interned. And I was there for a couple of years until they transitioned over to Fox Sports, and uh, I was looking for a job at that point. So I ended up getting an opportunity in Philadelphia to help launch Comcast Sportsnet, uh, and that was in 1997. I also had an opportunity at the time to go to Washington, D.C. and work with Home Team Sports, but the one in Philly was just very appealing because of the kind of sports town it is. And they were making me the main anchor along with uh, um, another guy and it it was appealing and the opportunity was good and the ability to have a voice in what we were building was important to me and so I moved to Philadelphia aside from the interview where I was in and out the same day, I had never spent the night in the city of Philly and I thought I'd be here a couple of years and and, uh, 20 what is it, 21, years, 22 years later almost 23 years later I'm still here so uh, I worked with Comcast for 19 years and uh, at the age of 50, I, my contract was up, and I didn't want to, um, as I like to say, be demoted to the minor leagues and pick another job that was um, you know, less than what I had been doing. And uh, So I transitioned back into the real estate world, and that's where I am now. I did have two small businesses I created in the meantime, as well as a nonprofit foundation. I like to create things. That's what I've realized at this point in my life.
0: That's great, Leslie. I mean, it's been an interesting career. So let's talk about that. For the viewers, you know, I think you've had some interesting transitions, right? You transitioned from an athlete to a sportscaster. You transitioned to a, a West Coast girl, right? Blonde hair, blue eyes, to Philadelphia, where you're tall blonde <laughs> kind of stood out a little bit. And then obviously, just just all that transition when you left – SportsCast back to real estate, just how did you navigate through that? How hard was some of those transitions?
1: You know, I, I love growth and the opportunity to um, capture as much as I can out of life. So being stagnant in one place is, is hard for me. And uh, while I've been here as long as I have, and while I was with Comcast SportsNet for 19 years, there was always some growth whether personally or professionally within those years. So I anchored for 13 years while I was here, but I started a small business, and that took off like a rocket ship. So I changed my duties at Comcast Sportsnet. I was lucky they let me transition from the anchor desk to covering just the Phillies, which I did for the remaining six years of my contract. So I've always been driven by the next thing that helps my brain move forward and helps me thinking. And I'm always thinking of ideas. And, you know, it's a uh, it's so how do I build that? How do I create that? How do I make that into something? And once I get an idea in my head, um, it's just uh, I find a way to wrap uh, great people around it and turn it into something. And it's become sort of a running joke with my friends because I even hosted a singles happy hour recently. And we had like 25 people come out. It was sort of thrown together and everybody's like, you should start a business. I said, no, I'm not starting a single dating business. And just has been something that people continue to go to. So I know I can gather good people. I know I can build things. And so that drives me to continue to want to give opportunities, um, not just to myself, but to other people as well.
0: That's great. You know, I remember when when we both lived in Philly early on in your career, I'd be so impressed because I'd be on the site and I'd see a number of the sports caster and hope I'm not giving away too many secrets, but they would be in makeup and they would be reading their lines and they'd be reciting their lines and looking at themselves in a the mirror. And, and you'd sit there and you'd be talking to me. And you'd be hey, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? What do you want to go for a cocktail? And they would say, three, two, one. And you'd say, hi, my name is Leslie Goodell. I'm with Comcast Sportsnet. Welcome to. And go right into it. I mean, you were so poised and confident um, and could multitask. I was always impressed from the day one when we met. How did you get to that level? Because you have to know a lot of your contemporaries and a lot of your anchors weren't as poised as you were.
1: Well, I think everybody has a. De- in fairness to them, because I worked with an amazing group of people. Uh, everybody has a different way of preparing for something. And I think that um, there was a time when I wasn't that comfortable. And, and I think that anything in life uh, is easier when you're prepared and you have knowledge of, of what you're doing. So For me, it's obviously very easy after being in broadcasting for 25 years to get up in front of people. I I remember the first time I went to do a stand-up where you're addressing the camera during a story for a tape that I was putting together when I was interning. And I was at Disneyland, and I followed another one of the reporters along and he had this big long stand-up, and I had to memorize it. And I'm walking down Main Street. It must have taken me 50 takes. They were so it was, and it was all just for a resume tape. And I'm cursing, and they're like, Leslie, we're at Disneyland. You can't be cursed. I mean, it was. I I was so frustrated. It was all so new and it was hard. And so you know, there, we all start somewhere. Um, but preparation is really the key to feeling comfortable. And then years of knowledge. I mean, you get to a point where you you've you become less fearful the more you tackle fear. So it's scary to move to Pocatello, Idaho, but it was also exciting. And I had it it had its moments when I got there, wondering what the heck I'm doing there. But once you get there and once you make that next move, if you believe in what you're doing and you're um and and you're drawn to it, fear is crippling. It you have to push through that fear. And eventually you realize that that you're much stronger than the fear that you you have that holds you back.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, if if you were to give some advice to listeners, friends, um, your your BFFs, um, kids who might want to go into sportscast, what advice would you give them today?
1: Uh, well, the business has changed drastically since I first got it. I mean, heck, we were we were putting you know our resume tapes on VHS and sending them out with handwritten notes, uh, and that's the only way you could get them to. To uh, news directors, um, you know, now, uh, I mean, I think it's it's as important as ever to be yourself and be. I remember when I got into it, everybody was a lot of the guys were trying to be Chris Berman. They were trying to mimic what he did. And someone gave me advice very early on to be who you are and be yourself, because if they don't like you for who you are, then you probably are in the wrong Job, so it, you have to be true to yourself because keeping up some sort of a facade or being another type of TV personality um, doesn't make you real, and it and, and that will become transparent at some point. So I think being true to who you are and um, and not taking, I mean, my favorite saying is, if you don't ask, the answer is no. So, again, that comes with the fear thing. Fear and uh, this business don't go together. You can't be afraid. You have to ask. And I also heard another quote I heard recently, build the bridge before you need it. So I, I love that you, you build these relationships, you network. Networking is hugely important in this business because the people, knowing people to put you in the right position to get jobs is really important. And I think the other thing that... I learned early on was if you don't get a job, it doesn't mean you're not good at what you do. It just means that they, whoever was hiring felt that other person was better suited for that role. So as soon as you start thinking about it like that, it doesn't feel like you're being rejected as much as, well, that's not the right role for me. Uh, So I I, I really believe in the power of how you think and um, how you wrap your head around things to keep you going, because you can bury yourself in, um, disappointment and rejection and negativity, or you can find a way to think about it as there's a reason why I'm going and moving on, or this didn't come together.
0: Yeah, I think there's some really good takeaways there. So let's talk for a second about you know, you mentioned you had a thriving business with Nap Nanny. I think it was what, $5 mm-hmm. million dollars of revenue. And then, bam, something unfortunately um, happens and and you end up getting sued by a, a few different people. You're you said you're 50 years old and uh, your contract was up for renewal and you didn't want to take less of a role, your your word's not mine, eh? Go back to the minor leagues. And then obviously your daughter, who's terrific and beautiful and outgoing and has everything, comes down with a rare, a rare disease. A lot of adversity there. How do you handle that? How do you get through? To the other side of that, Leslie, because that's a lot of stuff,
1: yeah, I learned that I'm really good in a crisis. I'm your girl, <laughs> if something if something goes wrong, I can handle it in my it now of course, at the same time, like my insides are being eaten alive, but um I you know and, and my body's falling apart, but and, and mentally. Um, I've learned to operate at a different level when there's a crisis situation, for sure. Based on experience, and that's not something you can learn without experience. And I don't recommend some of the experience. And I'll and I'll sort of go back a little bit just to give a little bit of a brief history. It is you know I started this uh, small business with a baby product back in 2009, and the business took off like a rocket ship. We did a million in revenue the first year, revenue over four years, and we shut down overnight. Much of what we made went to legal fees and an insurance. We were paying $67,000 a month in product liability insurance by the end, and it just wasn't feasible to stay. So what had happened is we had a product that was used in ways that wasn't intended, and there were uh, some tragic situations, and... and um, it, it was ve- It was a very difficult time in a number of ways and um but I was passionate about helping people when when I created that product, and so that was um that adversity was the first major adversity I had ever been hit with in my life. And in in so many ways that I can't, you know, we don't even have time to get into it. And I remember the guy helping me shut the company down said, I've never shut down a profitable company before. Now profitable is, you know, we use that term loosely because we really had very little to show for it. Um, but what I went through and having to go toe to toe with the federal government, because there were no regulations on it, because we literally invented the product that they had started putting, um, regulations around it after the product had been created, so uh, there, were, there that's a whole other set of challenges. And then after going through that and working past that, I started another small business. And as we were creating the website for that, my daughter had a stroke, uh, and um, that was
0: you know
1: round two on a different level of. Sort of tumbling you emotionally and physically. You're just you're overwhelmed by everything. So I spent the better part of a month learning about AVMs, which is what she has in her brain. It's a, a cluster of unnecessary blood vessels, and hers is quite large. Thankfully, she overcame the stroke, but did have to have radiation treatment. And we felt so fortunate because we had insurance. We had a daughter who was, uh, even though impacted by this and continues to have an uphill battle to this day, um, we felt so fortunate because uh, I learned very early on that Uh, In that process that everybody's got something and someone said if you were in a room with a bunch of people and you were all told to throw your junk in a pile in the middle, and that you could go pick out whatever you wanted you would take your own stuff back, because everybody's got something. So that helped me keep things in perspective and I and I, um, you know, I studied, you know, I, I was up studying what she had. Um, night after night, and really getting a grasp of it, and then you know it, we decided. My daughter, who was ten at the time, who if anybody knows Kendall, she's a she's a bright light when she walks into the room. We said let's start a foundation and help other people. So we've raised a couple hundred thousand dollars through Kendall's Crusade to give back for research and patient funds to help other people who can't afford the travel expenses because it is considered rare and not a lot of doctors in the country treat it. So I I just I feel like I've always tried to find a reason, like I felt fortunate at every step that it could have been worse, that other things are, you know, that there's just, there's, there's tragedy everywhere you look, how do you make the best out of it? So that was all, and, and that led to, by the way, I was like, I'm fine, brush yourself off, get up, you're fine, like no, nobody wants to hear you complain Um, But in the process, I'm having a hip replacement and I have a nerve issue and all these things are happening in my body that I can't, no doctor can explain. And so I didn't take care of myself through the process. And if there was one thing I learned, it's that you can't brush things off. You have to, you have to actually go through them and address the emotional toll that they take on you and take care of yourself and take care of your family. Because it did lead to a divorce for me. It did lead to... To a transition, and you know the path I took to get through all of that has put me in an incredible place, and I'm I'm so happy that even when things hit now, I'm able to put them in perspective, and I'm able to look at them as um, as you know feel them as they're there, deal with them, take them on and try again to find the right space and get to a good place again.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's tremendous takeaways for people. I mean, look, like you said, Leslie, everybody's dealing with stuff. You, me, any of the listeners, it's just different stuff, but it's our stuff. So I think the way you handle that is so impressive and so refreshing and amazing that you're just so open to talk about it. And I know everybody will get a lot out of it. Um, Let's switch gears for a half a second. Uh, unfortunately, in the past few days, we've had uh, another scandal in baseball with cheating. And unfortunately, it not only um, <laughs> involves the Houston Astros and in their, in their World Series title, but it goes back to Boston and my team with regard to the Boston Red Sox involved in that as well. From a fan, forgetting about from a sportscaster, put your, take your sportscaster hat off because I know you're still doing a bunch of stuff in that, in that industry. As a fan, how bummed out are you the fact that they may have, the Astros and the Red Sox may have cheated out your Los Angeles Dodgers out of a World Series?
1: You know, um, it's funny because I worked a NASCAR show for eight years uh, called NASCAR Garage, and I, I I can't tell you the number of times I heard "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." Um, then <laughs> that uh, you know the, the problem I have with this is that we're talking about technology changing things, and one side has. One side has an opportunity to cheat and the other one doesn't. One side has the opportunity to gain an advantage while the other one does not. Tim Flannery, former player and coach, wrote something. I think you probably read it on uh, on how he spent his entire career trying to steal their signs in order to gain an edge. And looking at the video afterwards and trying to decipher exactly what the third base coach is doing. But you had the opportunity to look at both third base coaches. Both teams had those opportunities. So I, you know, you and I talked about this the other day, and 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 I think you made that point. Uh, um, and I I think that that's a, a really valid point. I think it's uh, I think that um, it's sad that it it impacted the game. It not only impacted the World Series, it impacts the numbers. Um, The disparity in the home and away numbers during that World Series in 2017 are incredible, um, particularly for somebody like Jose Altuve. Uh, And if you take the impact it has on that pitcher or the other team and the numbers, that it might affect down the line when you're going to arbitration, when you're dealing with uh, a new contract, there are a number of people that could be impacted by this beyond the Dodgers in that world series. And so it's, it's really, it's really sad for baseball right now.
0: Those are good comments and we have talked about it and I'm very passionate about this too. Yes, it's my team, but I hope if this is true, I have not read any report on the Red Sox. Obviously core is gone and he should be gone. And I think Carlos Beltran is going to be gone from the Mets as well. Um, if this stuff is true, shame on the Red Sox, shame on the Astros. I get it that every, you know, stealing signs, Babe Ruth, Luke Eric, you know, everybody did that back in the day, but it's different from viewing it with your eyes than using technology. What really, you know, what bums me out is there's a lot of unwritten rules In baseball. Okay, we're up by seven runs. Nobody run. We're up by seven runs. Nobody bunt on a no hitter. You know, if you get hit, you get drilled. We're going to drill one of their guys. If you get drilled, don't don't wince. Don't even dust it off. Pick yourself up. Go to first base. Were you a little surprised, Leslie, that this kind of leaked out that some of the players actually said, hey, this is wrong. This is what's going on because I was.
1: It does take a lot of guts to come forward and attach your name to something like that because I'm sure that there are people who are going to think negatively about that player. Um, there's also going to uh, you know, there's also going to be people who are going to look at it as I'm glad somebody exposed it and stopped it. Now, you know, I find it interesting because, you know, it, there's, there's always the debate now with the way that, um, statistics, uh, uh driving the game have taken over, uh, in, in the way that the game is even managed and not just played, but managed. And, um, Alex Cora and AJ Hinch have always been sort of looked at as um, as uh, guys who who do who who do have an impact on the game, and uh, you you know you wonder how much it's tied to that. It just it creates so many questions, and, and and here we've been saying oh look these are analytical teams, and this is an example of why analytics works, and. And and maybe it's not. Maybe so. I'm sure. I'm sure to a certain degree. Um, obviously, it's not one thing impacts the game. But you're now talking about the game being impacted by something entirely outside an analytical approach. Um, so, how much does that play a factor? There are there, the ripple effect to these types of things. It can never be looked at as one isolated incident. It's not just the 2017 World Series. It's so many things that are impacted around what's happened.
0: I totally agree. All right. One prediction before I'm going to let you go and sign off for today. How far is Joe Girardi going to take the 2020 Philadelphia Phillies
1: I got to tell you, I was so excited about that hire, and I've never been to bandwagon, you know, like, I remember when people wanted Jim Leland a few years ago, and, you know, Charlie Manuel wasn't a popular choice, and, you know, he went on to win the World Series, so I think uh, there's a lot of factors involved. I have been a huge Joe Girardi fan for a long time, because, one, I think um, he's a winner, and two, I think that catchers make the best manager a so they relate to both sides. Uh, I think that He has an opportunity to make a very large impact. I think that um, getting uh, uh, some change, they've made some tremendous changes in the field, on the field as well, but I think it all comes down to two things. One is health, and two is how, how does the collective group come together in the clubhouse? Those are huge factors that play a, a bigger part than I think um, a lot of people give it credit for, but I watched it with the 2008 Phillies team. They had something special. You could feel it in the clubhouse all year long. They had leadership. They had the right people in place. And um, and it, it, it all comes together. And so I think that matters. And Joe Girardi could – be the best manager in the world if those factors don't come into play uh you can't win so i think it's going to be a combination of things but i think i love their chances under him
0: yeah so do i he is a winner leslie great job thanks again for listening to leslie goodell this is the on the mark podcast and my name is meryl Jubro. have a great day thanks meryl